0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, oh. Fight Back with Libby Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host, Jane Brown.
1: Libby's on vacation this week. Well, did you watch it? The first U.S. presidential election debate? I'd like to hear from Canadians and Americans alike on this. Our AM740 signal booms into the United States, and we are live streaming on zoomerradio.ca, so there are likely more than a few U.S. listeners to the program today. The numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. This highly anticipated event Between the incumbent U.S. President Donald Trump and his Democratic challenger Joe Biden was messy. It was filled with verbal insults. It lacked in substance. It was, quite frankly, difficult to watch at times. Trump, as expected, took the schoolyard bully approach throughout. Biden seemed to stand his ground for much of the assaults thrown at him. He was grinning, shaking his head in disbelief during most of Trump's comments. Biden also called Trump some names, clown, fool, and telling the U.S. president to shut up also noticeable was moderator Chris Wallace's inability to tame either side. Instead, he could be seen repeatedly pleading with Donald Trump to stop talking. And what about the issue of Trump's income tax? It didn't seem to be all that much of a hot topic after all. Let's go to our experts to hear how Americans are viewing the debate and the election campaign in general. Dr. Chris Cooper, political science professor at Western Carolina University. Professor Michael Flamm, at Ohio Wesleyan University, and Dr. Melissa Miller at Bowling Green State University. Welcome all.
2: Hello. Great to be here.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Let's go around the table and get your impressions of the debate. Dr. Cooper, you first.
2: Sure. I would not disagree with any of the descriptors you just put out there. I think this is the kind of debate that makes us question whether we should be doing debates at all. I think it also uh, draws some hard questions about the ways in which we conduct debates um, and what we're really getting out of these as Americans. Are Americans better equipped to make a decision on the presidency after last night? I'm not convinced that the answer is yes.
1: Professor Flam, your initial comments on last night?
3: uh in my view, uh President Trump gave the most uh disturbing and degrading public performance of any u s. president in modern American history. Um, and I do agree uh with Dr. Cooper. Um, it's not clear why moving forward, uh, we should bother having more presidential debates
1: just in this campaign or in general. Uh, In this campaign,
3: with this set of candidates under uh, the rules that were apparently negotiated uh, by both campaigns prior to the debate.
1: Dr. Miller, your thoughts after watching.
4: I agree with everything that's been said, and I would just tell you that many Americans uh, just woke up sort of in despair and disappointment about what they saw last night. What an enormous missed opportunity to educate that small slice of Americans who live in key battleground states, like those that the three of us panelists are sitting in, um, to get real information about the real substantive differences between these candidates. If you were one of those two to four percent of undecided voters who actually tuned in last night, you probably didn't make it past the first 15 minutes. It was uh, almost unwatchable.
1: So, Doctor Cooper, in light of that undecided factor, are those people st- going to stay away from the polls, or will they continue to do research and maybe try to give it another shot for for debate number two?
2: You know, I think we'll we'll find out, right? Um, I- you know, I agree with everything that's been said. We're talking about a very, very small number of undecided voters. Those are not the people who are most likely to watch the debates in the first place. So, I think the undecided voters are likely the ones who got up this morning and saw the sort of amplification of the debate and might actually be seeing the reporting on the debate and didn't actually watch the debate itself. And obviously, the reporting has been uh, has accurately highlighted. Um, What a disastrous night it was for American politics. So whether they will tune in in the future, we'll see. And conventional wisdom would say that it could depress turnout, that it could um, uh, further erode our faith in our democratic institutions, institutions that haven't been faring so well in recent years.
1: Dr. Flam, is the decorum or a lack thereof that we saw last night, is that reflective of the American people? You know,
3: that's a, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I do think that there has been an erosion of civility and tolerance uh, when it comes to political difference. Um, there's a lot of research showing that more and more Americans are sorting themselves out into communities and neighborhoods that tend to view politics from one perspective or another. Um, but I would like to think that ordinary Americans are still finding ways to behave better uh, than what we saw last night from President Trump
1: Well, it's certainly, uh, if you wanted to sit around as a family and invite your teenage-age children to to watch this debate, it certainly uh, almost would be depressing as a parent, the behavior you try to instill, Dr. Miller, and then the behavior that's reflected by the leaders. I mean, primarily Donald Trump, but Joe Biden was not super impressive either with his decorum.
4: Um, I think that's right. And um, I would say that, you know, it's a common maybe 5th, 6th, 7th grade civics uh, assignment for a student to be asked in an American school to watch and, and write a short reflection paper on a debate. And it just really saddens me to think that there were children who, you know, from, from the perspective of small-D democracy, were given a good assignment. Watch the presidential debate. You know, it's a way for schools to get young children interested and and high schoolers as well, as you mentioned, but I think it goes down to lower grade levels. And, you know, there may be parents complaining to the teachers today that their child had to watch such inappropriate behavior. I think that the moderator, Chris Wallace, in his words, the president did much more of the interrupting than um, Joe Biden did. But it is also the case, Joe Biden Kept us cool for the most part, but through those occasional ad hominem attacks, calling the president a clown, um, there may have been many, you know, heads shaking in agreement around the country after what they saw from the president. But nevertheless, it was it was disheartening, and and in terms of promoting democracy, democracy was the big loser last night. And I would also add that, you know the Russians in 2016 and again in 2020 have been trying to sow discord in American democracy. I think they won last night's debate.
1: Hmm, interesting. 416 toll free one 866 We're talking about last night's debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden in the U S Dennis and Brampton. Uh, what do you have to say about it?
2: Thanks for taking my call. Um, The most disturbing aspect of the debate last night for me uh, was the president's attempts to and ongoing attempts to delegitimize uh, the election through his baseless claims about voter fraud and his failure worse still to denounce white supremacy, even though he was given ample opportunity to do so. And the worst part of it for me was his reference to the proud boys to stand down and stand by. What does that mean? I'll let your panel respond.
1: yes, that excellent question uh, Dr. Cooper yeah, I mean I, I this is you know we talk a lot in American politics about
2: dog whistles, right? so phrases that a candidate uses that only certain types of people hear, so perhaps if somebody says urban decay, maybe that's a dog whistle that is really calling to, to racist ideas. This one's not even a dog whistle, right? You do not have to be um, uh, a white supremacist to understand what the president was trying to say there. And, and I think juxtaposed right after that the discussion about um, election integrity um, and calling on people to watch the polls in the United States, sets a really scary tone, essentially saying, here's a group of white supremacists, stand by and wait. And then in the next segment, talk about how his supporters should be watching the polls to make sure that the election goes off in his, you know, the way he would like it to. And so again, yeah, this is an attack on the core institutions of American democracy. And um, I saw one political scientist say the other day, "This is a this is a five alarm fire." This is. Um not something that we can overstate just how scary it is and how much people should be paying attention to it. And uh, I applaud the caller for for bringing up this point, and I agree completely.
1: So, Dr. Cooper, you don't think he misspoke on that? That was a direct message?
2: I, I don't think he misspoke. Um, I think he uh, said what was on the top of his head, and what was on the top of his head was a call to two white supremacists that uh, to, to wait. Not, uh, he did not take the opportunity to say the simple words, I denounce white supremacy, I denounce white supremacists, I denounce racism. He took none of those opportunities, and instead he ad lived and, and talked about um, uh, a specific group of people who he did not say to disband or to not support him, but yet just to stand by and wait.
1: Dr. Flam, uh, fill in uh, those of us here in Canada who may not be familiar with this group uh, that he was referencing.
3: You know, it's it's a group that's emerged uh, in the last few years uh, in New York City and some other places. It's primarily uh, young men, um, and uh, they enjoy uh, getting in fights and promoting a conservative message. They see themselves as provocateurs. Um, they now see themselves as fighting against uh, the Antifa, or the alleged Antifa organization. Um, I just want to make a quick point Mm -hmm. here to reinforce what was said before. The president last night very, very deliberately, in my view, avoided using the phrase, stand down. He said, stand back and stand by.
1: Right. He did
3: never use the phrase, stand down. Um, The other thing, of course, the president last night uh, did was completely disregard the advice uh, of the FBI director who has said that white extremists are the major threat to, uh, to peace, uh, to social order in the United States right now. And he simply, you know, brushed that away, um, as he frequently brushes away any kind of expert advice or analysis.
1: Uh, one of my researchers here is providing me with details that the founder of these Proud Boys is Gavin McInnes, actually Canadian from Ottawa, lives in New York City. So interestingly, a bit of a Canadian connection there. Dr. Miller, uh, your thoughts on that, uh, his opportunity, the president's opportunity to denounce white supremacy?
4: You know, one of the reasons I think it's clear that he didn't misspeak is that this is just so consistent with other dog whistles and outright signals he's given to the far right, to white supremacists. You only have to think back to Charlotte, um, Charlottesville. Um, You know, after... You know, protesters were attacked and one woman killed with, um, you know, white supremacists marching into the, into town with their torches, yelling vile and hateful things. And the president said there were good people on both sides. So I think it's, it's undeniable that he was speaking from the heart. He, he, he will never, if there's a group that supports him, He'll never denounce them because his goal is to be well-liked and to be reelected. And, you know, if he takes the country down with him, so be it. That's how it struck me.
1: You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby, and our American panelists, Dr. Chris Cooper, political science professor at Western Carolina University, Dr. Michael Flamm at the Department of History at Ohio Wesleyan University, and that was Dr. Melissa Miller, professor of political science at Bowling Green State University. panelists, what I'm getting from all three of you today, and I'm wondering if it's the feeling among a lot of Americans, is just a a sense of sadness and a a bit of feeling demoralized. Am I right about that, Dr. Cooper?
2: Uh, Yes, I think that is right. Um, That's certainly what uh, I'm reading in my social media feed. And and also, you know, like the other panelists, probably, I went and taught a class this morning. Um, It was on parties, campaigns, and elections. And so I walked in and, of course, talked to my students about that. And they were um, beside themselves, regardless of their partisanship. Some were conservatives, some were liberals, some were Republicans, some were Democrats. Um, but they were all disgusted and, um, and frankly, a little bit scared, I think, for what was to come uh, on Election Day. And, again, this fear that perhaps uh, the president might not accept the result of the election if he loses. I mean, that is, a, again, that is a five-alarm fire that is the kind of thing that, that could signal real problems for the permanence of our democracy.
1: Dr. Flam is is that a real possibility Donald Trump loses and refuses to concede is that is that something that could actually happen?
3: Yes, it could actually happen. Um, I know plenty of very intelligent, very very reasonable analysts who are now moving to worst-case scenarios about what could happen in the weeks after the election. Uh, and uh, and what President what lengths President Trump will go to destabilize democracy, deny the results of the election, uh, perhaps steer the outcome into the House of Representatives or the Supreme Court, where he will have an advantage uh, in terms of the ultimate outcome. I just want to add that I was, I think, like many Americans, both sickened uh, and saddened by the spectacle last night. Um, I also made my 15 year old son watch the debate. Um, and i now deeply regret that decision.
1: deeply regret as a result of the behavior that your son had to witness.
3: yes and and the idea that i may have permanently shaped his uh his opinion of american politics and presidential elections uh as a result of what he had to see and watch last night.
1: i want to go back to our callers joan in orangeville uh, did you watch the debate what did you think? Hi, Joan. Go ahead. You're on oh, Zoomer Radio. Oh, thank you. Hi,
4: Jane. I, I listen to the show every day. Yes, I was, I was just so uh, appalled by the way the, the president spoke, um, and he just kept interrupting. You could not stop him. And very disappointed that, uh, that Chris Wallace could not handle him or make him stop. I, I think he should have been a bit louder and making him stop.
1: Yeah, Let's go to Dr. Miller about that. Thanks for calling, Joan, uh, in terms of the moderator's behavior and how he handled the event.
4: Yes, I will say that I've done some research on this, and the moderator's role in presidential debates is often problematic because the moderator is the one who gets to choose the questions. The moderator is the only one who gets to decide when to, you know, try to rein a candidate back into their time limit. And so, moderator's it's it's not, but on the side of moderator, I'd say it's not easy to beat a moderator. And those who are chosen really typically are, you know, they are the, you know, kind of the top of their profession. And I would say that Chris Wallace is a tough interviewer. Anyone who saw his interview with President Trump earlier, about a month or so ago, knows that he will hold, you know, a politician. Republican or Democrat to account for what they say, what they do. He's a tough interviewer. The fact that he couldn't keep control of this debate just makes me shudder to think of what the next two moderators will do. Honestly, uh, there's a lot of talk about how the moderator should be given the ability to shut off the mic. If a candidate is interrupting during their uh, opponent's time, I don't I think that that will happen because I don't believe that the campaigns will agree to it. And this all has to get run through the Commission on Presidential Debates. But I think the, president, the Commission on Presidential Debates also has to do some soul-searching about how they're going to prevent last night's spectacle from recurring again two more times. And, and some are saying that Biden should not even participate in the next two debates Now there's real political, uh, there's a real big political downside to that. He'll be painted as a coward, not tough enough, not strong enough. Um, but maybe, maybe he needs to make a bold move. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a tough call, but I don't think people will be watching the next two debates in the numbers they watched last night. So frankly, that gives me solace. Um, to the extent that the next two bait- debates turn into the kind of train wreck we saw last night.
1: I want to ask all three of you, we'll go around the table. What are the handlers for Trump and Biden telling their candidates today? We're, in terms of Trump, uh, Dr. Cooper, do they like the schoolyard bully approach? You know,
2: uh, it's hard to say what they want. I'll say what I think they should want, um, uh, which is for him to dial it back some. Um Politically, I don't think that was a smart play last night to get Biden on his toes. Maybe that was smart, but the reality is that the far right is going to support Donald Trump anyway. I think you'd be much better off moderating his position a little and moderating his tone and giving uh, the average conservative voter who isn't extreme and doesn't like the kind of racist rhetoric he put out last night and a reason to vote for him and an excuse to vote for him. Um, as far as Biden, I mean, I think it's he's going to have to find a way to cut through the noise and articulate um, a clear message about who he is and what he stands for. And obviously, that was extremely difficult last night. Um, the moderator had a tough job, but, but was not able to, to wrangle Trump. So uh, I don't think either... I don't think either candidate's handler should be very happy with the way that debate turned out last night. Frankly, I don't really think any American should wake up this morning to be happy about how that debate turned out last night. No. I think uh, kind of worldwide, the Russians might be the only ones, as Professor Miller pointed out, who were happy today.
1: Dr. Flam, what what did you think about that constant reaction from Joe Biden, the big smile and the head shaking? I, I felt he should have been more serious and more grim. It just I, I don't know if that worked.
3: Um, well, I, you know, it's very hard to tell. I do feel that Biden in some ways was trying to sort of channel Reagan with the head shake and the, you know, the reaction, there he goes again, without using that, of course, phrase, which Reagan, in a sense, has trademarked now. It, for me, that the challenge for Biden is to remain calm, cool, and collected, and then occasionally flash righteous anger um, when Trump crosses certain lines uh, you know regarding family or or other things like that um... you know it, the the battleground to me is really about uh... white suburban women um, and and how they're gonna respond and whether they're going to f- accept president Trump's analysis of, of where the major threat comes uh, comes from as far as they're concerned about their families and communities or whether uh... vice president biden you know, can hit that message harder that the real threat to families and communities is going to come from the health crisis, the economic crisis, the Supreme Court, etc.
1: Dr. Miller, your, your thoughts on uh, the way in which uh, the coaching should take place for both Biden and Trump?
4: Yeah, I found it interesting that former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who did some debate coaching with President Trump, was actually on cable television last night saying that he was just too hot In in Chris Christie's words, meaning going on the attack made sense in some respects for Trump coming in as the underdog. That's often the debate strategy of the underdog in a race. But even his own debate prepper was saying it was way too much. And I, I like what Mike had to say about white suburban women from the 2018 midterm elections. We know that white suburban women are essentially the group that delivered the House of Representatives back into the Democratic column, and that's why they're considered so central here today. It's those women who specifically are not comfortable with the incivility of the president, the the, the chaos, the tweeting, the, um, you know, just, I, I, I won't go on. I think your listeners probably know what I'm talking about, but I doubt very much that the president's debate performance last night did anything except drive them further from the president. So I I would imagine that the president's handlers are giving him that message, although they tend to tell him what he likes to hear. So it's unclear. And as for Biden, he was best last night when he looked directly in the camera and spoke to voters Mm -hmm. and also when he remained dignified. Um, And so more of that, less of the ad hominem attacks, for which many Americans won't blame him with the onslaught coming from the other side of the stage. But he was absolutely at his finest when he spoke directly into the camera and made this, the issues in this campaign very personal to
1: families sitting at home and around their kitchen table. First and foremost, maybe COVID-19, he seemed, to, he seemed to get some traction with that.
4: Yes, Absolutely. And 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 that reveals, you know, a big key difference between these two candidates is on just the severity of the of the virus and the pandemic in the United States. I mean, there are so many core differences between the candidates, but they they really got lost last night in the shuffle of inflammatory language and eye rolls
1: and interruptions. This has been very informative. Thank you all for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Dr. Melissa Miller, Professor of Political Science at Bowling Green State University, Dr. Michael Flam, Department of History at Ohio Wesleyan University, and Dr. Chris Cooper, Political Science Professor at Western Carolina University. Jane, for Libby, tomorrow we talk about long-term care with a panel of experts. You won't want to miss that show as we start to see more outbreaks, more COVID-19 second wave outbreaks in Ontario. Nursing homes—the last thing any of us wants to see. We will discuss that tomorrow. Have a great day.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.